Kia ora, I'm Andrew from Aru Video in Wellington, New Zealand, and welcome to episode 14 of Back to the Disc Player, the Aru Video podcast. It is inspired by our Adopt-A-Movie scheme, which enables film lovers to purchase an exclusive lifelong affiliation with a title in our library, or an acquisition that we may not have. It's where I get the privilege to talk to our customers about their personal connection to the film or films they've chosen to adopt, and for us to find out about them as well. Episode 14 is with longtime RO customer and self proclaimed bad movie lover Peter Hassel. As you'll hear, Peter is a diehard movie fan of all sorts, whose professional life includes working as a projectionist and for many years as a film stuntman. He's chosen to adopt two disaster films in our library, and the disaster movie genre is something I was very much looking forward to discussing, as it fondly takes me back to my impressionable years of movie going in the 1970s. It's one of the more informal and sometimes random conversations I've had so far on the podcast and hopefully uh, all the more amusing for it. It's the one where the most number of films are mentioned because we both came prepared with our lists of must mentions and was at times what Peter later described as a round of verbal judo. Also, given that Peter is a fan of bad movies and exploitation cinema, I've appropriately chosen to leave this one uncut in all its unwieldy glory, so I hope you enjoyed this chat with my guest, Peter Hassel. Hello, Peter, and welcome to Upstairs at RO Video. Great to have you here. Um, You go way back to being one of our very first customers, certainly in the low hundreds, um, uh, which is nearly 30 years ago today because it is our 30th birthday coming up in September Uh, so really nice to have you here Um, so going back to 1989 were were you a um, were you a local Uh, what were you what were you doing back then Uh, well originally I grew up in Auckland but I wasn't born there I was born in Christchurch so I'm a mainlander so you cannot call me a Jaffa Mm-hmm. Seeing as I grew up in Auckland and moved to Wellington, I can sort of slag off the weather and the traffic up there. Um, right. Look, yeah, I, I remember it's hard to look realise that it's been so long, thirty, you know, three decades. It's amazing when you look back on it. So we were all younger then. Yeah. But I just remember being delighted that this amazing resource, and it was a lot smaller back then, mm. but it's still amazing. Mm. This shop opened mm. uh, just down the road from where I was living at the time. An amazing resource of 200 tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that was pretty amazing. You've probably back got then. 20 times that collection in your own home. Uh, <laughs> a bit more. I've got about 1,500 titles. 1500. That I yep. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, the very first video store that I saw that opened in Auckland in Upper Queen Street had all of 40 titles when it opened. Right. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah. I mean, no one owned video yeah. machines. You paid them to yeah. you know, rent one for a yeah. night or two. So the idea of actually watching a movie of your of your choice in the comfort of your own home was was a far-out concept. It was. It was amazing because that was you know when video, pre-DVD, of course, first came out. And the other amazing thing, of course, was that you could, with a blank videotape, you could record TV mm. shows or movies off TV and watch mm. them again. Mm. I mean, it was all completely new mm. at the time and sort of blew us away um, back then. Yep. Was there a particular movie from that era that that springs to mind that, that uh, um, was like, oh, I can't wait to get this home and 
throw it, throw it in the machine. Well, it wasn't one. I'd never actually oh. rented this one, but there was one. <laughs> Maybe title there are titles you can't out. actually mention. Is it? Well, I can, but and I never did watch this. Um, it's called The Case of the Smiling Spits, oh, yeah. okay. which is a British comedy, I think. <laughs> I, think so. I don't know, because I never saw it. Yeah, we all saw that, apart from I never. Saw, I saw it in a shop, but I yeah. never rented oh, I see, it. Right. Well, I saw, other that, things I saw that at a party once. Yeah, actually, yeah. I did see a few scenes of it in a nightclub where they play stuff on big you know, screens. <laughs> yeah. So I have seen oh, dear. a minute or two. Here. Yeah, but it was a classic exploitation film in, in that the title was far mm. more um, alluring than the, the actual really should film itself. Buy it off eBay or something. Yeah, I just did to have. watch it. Have you got it? Um, we do have it, and th- I think somebody bought the VHS of it oh. a few years ago. So you don't have it on DVD? I think I do have it on DVD. Oh, wow. But because uh, I sold the videotape of it, but it was a really, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a very collectible DVD. It was kind of a mm. rubbishy sort of small case. Well, if you've still got it, cover I will have to get yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And check, and, and check. decades old desire. Indeed. So you were telling me before we started rolling that that uh, you've always been a bad movie fan. So I kind of thought. Just to mm. clue uh, listeners in a little bit, um, there was, uh, so I, um, you're uh, an Can avid... Can I just broaden your statement? Certainly. I am a movie fan. Right. Um, I like all kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. I watch anything from, you know, Gone with the Wind, Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. Seven Brides of Seven Brothers, through to, you know, Maniac Cop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Exploitation, horror. Yeah. I think in terms of genres, I probably like science fiction and mm-hmm. also action mm-hmm. more than others, perhaps. But I do like bad movies, particularly older bad movies you know, from the 50s, 60s, 70s, yeah. rather than the latest sort of deliberately Sharknado. Sure, yeah. Deliberately made yeah. To be bad if you yeah. get the difference. So, like, just speaking of 30 years ago, I recently acquired a copy of, it was donated, a copy of uh, Martial Law, which is a Cynthia Rothrock yeah, action yeah, yeah. film yeah. from 1990, so about yeah. the time that we started. And that was the kind of thing that I didn't touch with the barge pole at the time mm. because it was um, it was kind of a, you were a too sea snooty. movie. I was too snooty. And we, yeah. we stopped the... Highfalutin. We were very highfalutin stocking the C- Stephen Seagal's yeah. and the Jean-Claude Van Damme. You didn't have enough space. No, but what I'm saying is that martial law didn't quite cut it because yeah. those kinds of films were to a penny being released mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. And we did have a limited budget... Um, and so um, it suited my snootiness to save a bit of money at the same mm. time. But um, but I think what I'm trying to say is that now we've acquired that title, for example, because mm. with the hindsight of 30 years, it takes its place in the canon mm. of bad action movies, mm. which have a certain appeal. Mm. So there is something about... Um, the, the retrospective nature of it, which somehow makes it more alluring. Well, that is actually one of the really good aspects of your shop, is that you're not only getting the new new docos and new feature films and everything which come out, so you're right up to date with that, but every time I come in here, which is once a week, I always check the shelf just in the front where you come in, on the right-hand mm-hmm. side, where you put these new, older mm. titles that you've yeah. acquired. Mm-hmm. And 
I swear every week there is at least one, usually two, yeah. that I haven't seen yet, but I've yeah. heard about or whatever I saw decades ago and haven't mm. seen since. I'm thinking, ah, oh, that's great. I'll yeah. get that out. Yeah. And my, my son Jake, who's 25, he is, that's, he's specifically has said to me that's one of the things he really likes about here is these older titles that you keep getting in that you didn't have yeah, before. And yeah, go, yeah. Oh, wow, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, and, and you're right that they, their, their kind of level of sophistication can be quite varied. Mm. So it can be something, um, I think you, you know, there was a recent Buster Keaton acquisition that we mm. got that you, you rented, um, the name of which has just escaped me. Something Butler? Yeah. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Jake, Jake bought recently, he was selling off a cheap one right. of whole bunch of his shorts yep. I think yep. it was Buster Keaton or one sure. of the others but then at the same time this kind of the aforementioned trash like martial law and you know that that, that are um, just have cultural curiosity value mm. so is that kind of part of the bad movie thing is this curiosity yeah. that you're going to find something in there I think that, the bad movie thing is that you know some of some of them are so bad they're just hilarious mm. um, and some are so bad they're a real struggle to get through even with some alcohol mm. and one thing Jake and I like to do occasionally is we'll have mm. like 12 hour movie marathons mm. Mm. this is your son by the way Yep. Mm. so he's 25 as I said mm. and he's like me, he loves a whole range of movies old and new, mm. all sorts of genres although he does like you know horror and science fiction and the cult movies mm. and the bad ones, mm. as mm. I do as well. Um, but, you know, we, we will watch, you know, whatever we can fit in, take turns at choosing, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll just have a mixture of good ones and bad ones from the 40s, 50s, mm. 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. right up to sure. recent stuff, and we'll just mi- mix and match everything. So and do you ever use the fast, fast-forward button? No, never. Do you ever use the stop button? Uh, only if only to make a cup to of tea. make a call of nature, or <laughs> so you you go from beginning to end, whether no matter how. Oh, we stop in between the movies. Have a oh, of course. No, I realise that. No, I mean that you 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 will yeah. commit to a I, film I, I, from yep. beginning to end. I ha- you no are matter talking, how bad it is. You are talking to the person who has watched Jurassic Shark <laughs> and was very tempted to fast forward, especially the scene where it's been like. 10 minutes walking through the woods not even talking <laughs> just to fill up some time you're saying it was an art movie it's <laughs> I was very 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 tempted awesome but it's yeah. like I've got a whole box of them by the way that you can pretty much have I've got of, most of, of them of, you've got yeah um, <laughs> we're talking about uh uh shark and dinosaur movies folks yeah. uh, a box for a dollar we're meant it's supposed to, to be a dollar each, yeah, but you can have the whole yeah. box for a dollar. I, <laughs> I believe we're meant to be talking though about end of world movies and disaster. We're getting movies, there. We're getting there. Which so a little segue. Just the other day, I because I got a copy through eBay. Mm-hmm. This is the title you don't have, so I'll talk to you about donating it. Sure. If it's not going to cost you too much for the well, you've just taken thing. control of this conversation. Yep. So say what you like. So this is called When Time Ran Out. Yeah. One of Irwin Allen's. Yeah. The Master of Disaster. Oh, I was going to say this. Beat you to it. Okay. One of his last disaster movies. Sure. And it is a disaster. disaster. <laughs> and I'm Which remi- is why I was, it was reminded his last of one. it because 
It has a scene similar to the excruciating walking through the woods scene in Jurassic Shark. Where <laughs> Jurassic Shark. Jurassic Shark. Where uh, there's basically a bridge that's collapsing across a lava flow. Yeah. And they have to get across the bridge, a whole bunch of people fleeing the volcano. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that scene is probably 10, maybe 15 minutes long. I haven't timed it, but it seems like an hour. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to give away a little secret here. Earlier on in the film, you, you find out that Burgess Meredith mm-hmm. is a retired tightrope walker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it should come as no surprise that his particular <laughs> s- skill comes mm. in very handy in oh, really? across this collapsing. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Go figure. Okay, sure. But I mean, I saw that at the movies when it came out. Right, and, okay. And I remember Yeah. So that They've child... been very tempted to walk out. Yeah, yeah. But I've never walked out of a movie in yeah. a cinema either. I think I was very tempted to walk out of Kingdom of the Spiders. I think that what? was the first uh, disaster movie or yeah, uh, yeah. creature feature that I saw in the theatre where I thought, this is pretty bad. You haven't got a very strong constitution. I know, I know. That's right. I've got it's a very not a particularly bar. low... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was 12 years old, you know, and I, and I and that's when I started getting becoming discerning about what I was going to watch from arachnophobia. No, it was just um, I just I just thought it was uh, fairly suspense-free and kind of the the, the effects were very average to say the Real least. Real tarantulas, though. Yeah. But, it's like um, they squashed a few of them in some of the crowd scenes too. Yeah, they did it better in Arachnophobia, and probably Tarantula. Well, you can't beat that. I mean, that's... Anyway, we we digress. Um, so the thing I the thing about just final thing I wanted to say about bad movies is that unlike good movies, you can kind of do a bit of research and find out whether it's going to be to your taste or not. But the trouble is with bad movies is that you you really have to watch them for yourself, don't you? Because mm. if you see something on, on IMDb and it's got a 3.4 out of 10, it's not really telling you much about whether you would yeah, you watch it or not. Yeah, you don't know if it's so bad it's a struggle to Indeed. sit for it or yeah. bad but entertaining. Yeah. So how do you, if you're a fan of bad movies, um, as well as good movies, by the way... Um, doesn't that mean that you can pretty much watch anything and just kind of look at it at, on a bad movie level? Like, how do you be uh, discriminating yeah. about what you watch? <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch too many arty-farty ones. No, I'm just um, talking about the junk that you would get, uh, you know, that, 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 that are churned out by, um, you know, second, third, fourth-run Hollywood. Yeah, uh, it's a... It's for more recent stuff, as I said, where they seem to be deliberately setting out to make mm. a bad movie. I mean, mm. Sharknado was a bit of fun, mm. but what we're up to four or five now. Mm. I've only watched the first one. Yeah, I don't really enough. mean those. I just mean those things that are, that don't have, you know, it might be a kind of uh, an action movie from the mid-90s that's got nobody in it that you particularly know. And it's got a big gun on the cover, and it's got an explosion. Like it looks. I'm interested like... already. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of those are entertaining, even okay. if they're bad. Okay. There's a few that are, if they don't have a lot of action, 
yeah. of them or something unusual or unique yeah. in them, yeah. they're a struggle. Yeah. But most of them are entertaining in some way of a dialogue. Or right, sure. So it is a trial and error thing. Yeah. But it is a potluck thing. You'd kind yeah, of like, I mean, let's try this. Are a and, real and, dud and yeah. you think, oh, you know, that's yeah. a waste. Yeah, okay. Um, but others All are right. entertaining. Cool. Yep. So was that why we didn't see you for a few years there? Peter, because well, we didn't have enough bad movies. I knew I'm that just was curious to, to know. No, you didn't see me for a few years because I moved out of town and I still am out of town. In fact, I was living and working in Upper Hutt yeah. for quite a few yeah, years, yeah, yeah. so I didn't come into town very much at all. Yeah. And I must admit, my free time and so on dropped off a lot as well. Yeah, well, you, And I wasn't watching many movies at sure. all for a, yeah, you, quite you, a period. You were busy working and yeah. raising a family working and doing all that stuff. Hours and plus, yeah. as I said, not yeah. coming into yeah. town very often at all. Yeah. But, but anyways, now, although I still hmm. live out there, I work in town. Yep. And it's quite easy for me to get here now. Well, it's been delightful having you back as a customer, mm. as a as a ardent Well, I was customer. shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Hmm. A couple of years back and... Right. Saw that, you know, you're in serious trouble. I thought, bloody hell, I've got well, to get back there. Okay, so that was the and that actually catalyst. Got me, yeah, got me was yeah, it was the catalyst. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very glad I do because I've got yeah. that much more into mm-hmm. a bit more work life balance, if you like. Yeah. And um, watching a lot more movies, yeah. good and bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was about nearly four years ago. Mm, but yeah. um, time flies. Yep. Yeah. No, it's been been great seeing you. So. Um, Thank you for adopting a couple of movies. You were very quick off the mark when we launched mm. that scheme. and um, There's a few more varied ones I will need to adopt too. Yep. But I'm keen on. Okay, well, you, well, you'd like to tell um, listeners what the two films that you've so far adopted? Sure. Coincidentally, they're both disaster slash end of the world movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one was When Worlds Collide, which is an old Older sure. one from the 50s. No, 1951, yeah. Yeah, and the other was a 80s movie, Miracle Mile. Yep. Which, which I had, unusual Which, which I had seen uh, because, it, mm. again, 1989, so 30 years ago. Um, mm. And, of course, I watched it when it came out as a new release, VHS. But we'll talk mm. about that one uh, soon. When Worlds Collide I, is one that I um, that we had on videotape and you adopted it on DVD, so it was really nice to get that. Mm. Um because its reputation preceded it as a uh, as a seminal sci-fi work, and uh, I watched it a few nights ago because I had not seen it, mm. um, and really enjoyed it. Well, I, I guess the couple of impressions that I had when I was watching it, I was watching it with a couple of other people, and they said, "Oh, what year is this?" And I said, "I think it's '58." Mm. And it wasn't until we'd finished watching it, I looked it up and it was 1951. And I mm. thought it was really impressive for 1951. Yeah. Um, the special effects. Of in, in, indeed, that's right. So it really did seem to um, set a template. And I thought it was would have been particularly influential on Jerry Anderson mm. uh, because there's Thunderbirds-like sequences in the film. Yes, yes. Um, and also... Um, Irwin Allen, who you mm. mentioned earlier, the master of disaster, and he, Lost in Space was another thing that came to mind because okay. you've got a character played by John Hoyt, yeah. who is the evil wheelchair bound yeah. corporate raider who's evil and selfish. Yeah. And um, 
he's just and and also cowardly mm. and he reminded me exactly dr. Of, of dr smith yeah, yeah. so <laughs> True. those were the things Except that came through dr smith's not in a wheelchair but he isn't but yeah, he had but, that yeah, same, same kind character. of um yeah. paranoid mm. um uh, kind of um blithering and um <laughs> uh, sort of uh, i don't know what's the word just very snarky mm. personality uh, but he was priceless um, well, when worlds collide, as you said before, it is a classic, and it's like there are other ones from that era, like the Time Machine, the War of the Worlds, which is also an end of the world one, mm -hmm. in a way. Um, Day the Earth stood still, you know, those sorts of movies all came out around that mm -hmm. era, yeah, um, and are all sort of classics. And Forbidden Planet, that's another one, yeah, and are all well worth watching, yep. even today, and even. The special effects and so on, and many of them hold up very well. Yeah. Um, probably uh, some of the racism and <laughs> things, not so much. Yeah. It's not so overt in the movies, but yeah. um, sexism and racism, obviously. Yes. Then, you know, the, the women's roles are pretty minor compared to the men, of course. Indeed, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And actually, on the racism angle, I've got a little something I thought I might read okay. to you. Which in one in an email group I'm in, coincidentally recently, a guy posted about he read a few classic science fiction novels because mm -hmm. When Worlds Collide was based on a book from 1932, apparently. Yes, so mm. a fair bit earlier. So, mm. but he said it. No great surprise. There's a huge amount of uh, that in, in the book, and he's saying is reminded of just how breathtakingly casually racist and sexist we used to be mm. as in society. Mm -hmm. um, he said, you know, one character has a Jap butler constantly referred to as that, mm. who horror humbly submits to the wisdom of his white masters. Mm. And after Earth has been destroyed and there's a small group of people, oops, I've given away. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's okay. Um, you know, a character remarks that Kyoto seems to understand exactly what has taken place. Right. Um, yeah. A, a sort of generally patronising, patriarchal tone. Yeah, they don't even mention Africa and everything. It's all just white people that are saved. Yeah, yeah and that was certainly when I watched the film. Um, yeah, there are there are no people of colour at all being uh, being mm. uh, ushered onto the ark. Uh, yeah. You know, the kind of Noah's ark like spaceship, which is taking them off to a um, yeah. a rogue planet because the mm. the one that um, they're living on is about to be destroyed. It's mostly men with a few women for breeding purposes. It is. It is very not useful yeah. for anything else. I did think another thing intelligent like men yeah indeed yeah. i couldn't also help think of the um the drive-in crowd that would be going to a film like that and this there was a, one or two scenes uh that was definitely hinting at the idea of uh you know what would you do in your last waking hours mm. if the uh, earth was about to be destroyed and there were one or two, two scenes which had that um uh, that that sexual tension that there was is a, um, important that's to the youth. Mean, yeah, there, there is a, another film, a British one actually, called The Day the Earth Caught Fire, nineteen sixty-two, mm -hmm. which you have mm -hmm. here, and um, that sort of has quite a bit of that because gradually the Earth's knocked out of orbit and is heating up, mm -hmm. um, and you know you have all the temperature rising and mm -hmm. weather effects and things. 
and there's a scene in that which I remember which has some sort of beatnik types mm. that are um, wasting water willfully, mm. which has become very scarce, and there's yeah. sort of water riots, and these guys just like throwing water around and wasting it to the horror of other people. And there is also some uh, suggestiveness about what people would do when they yeah. only have weeks or days left to live. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, yeah. that's a... a that's a very good film, that one. Yeah. Black and white. I haven't seen that. Yep, okay. you've got that here. You could very get good. it out. Yep. No, a doomsday parable for the nuclear age of the 50s was what uh, was a, a, a quote that caught my eye that pretty much sums it up. So that fear of, uh, of mm. the world ending, very much a, a, a possibility in the post-World War II Cold War environment. Mm. Well, of course, you've got movies too, like Doctor Strange, Love and Failsafe. Mm. Both of which are about the potentials of nuclear war occurring by accident, mm. as such. Which I mean, I remember which it was, was a yeah. young kid, you know, seventy-two. I would have been eleven years old, mm-hmm. and even then, growing up and into teenage years, you used to actually think, you know, there could be a nuclear war. Yeah, absolutely. There's an ever-present possibility, and now you don't really. Mm think about that mm-hmm. as anywhere near as much. Mm. There's still some possibility. Yep, certainly they were intellectualising that idea by the 60s, you know, mm. when those films were put out. I guess going, you know, with the, with the 1950s, the um, um, what also struck me about that film was it's the way it set the template for the disaster movie in general so the format being that uh, uh, there's an ensemble cast who each have different things going on in their lives per oh. personal things and uh, and those strands kind of coming together um, as the disaster grows imminent so oh. that template has been done many times oh. uh, over so I don't know whether that was the first one to employ that structure, but um, it was. Um, it's still, interestingly enough, I watched um, the film that they call the Godfather of of disaster films, which was the original Airport movie, oh, uh, yes. only a couple of weeks ago, which I'd never seen. I had seen Airport seventy five and seventy seven when I was a child. Mm. And they plots, made an impression on me. <laughs> the plots get progressively more and more ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the first airport was based on a novel by Arthur Haley. That's right. And uh, I probably saw it years and years ago on TV or video. I haven't seen it recently. Mm. I remember when I was young, I saw it at my movies as a double feature of something else. And back then I was too young and I thought it was a bit boring and talky. Yeah. Because it really is just a drama. It, it is, anything yeah. Anything else. Yeah. Um, airport 1975, you have a light aircraft crashes into the bigger plane, and I believe we have a plucky stewardess who manages mm. to fly it for a while. Yeah. Uh, and we airport, have Charlton Heston as well. Oh, he helped. <laughs> <laughs> airport 77, uh, somehow a plane miraculously manages to hit a uh, oil platform in the middle of a Bermuda Triangle. Mm. Uh, at Airport 79, the Concorde. Yeah, I haven't Co- seen that one. Well, you've got a four-pack here. You've I got know. all of them. I know, I'm sorry. That is a classic <laughs> So Bad It's Funny movie. Right. Um, it was retitled Airport 80 outside mm-hmm. America because it didn't come out here till a year later. 
Um, I've got a photo from the photo set because I collect a lot of movie posters and photos. I've got one photo which was pulled from the photo sets because it reveals what happens at the end. Right. Um, similarly with Jaws, they did that, a couple of photos showing a, the shark. They pulled them from the sets of photos, which right. youngsters today don't have the pleasure of seeing displayed in mm-hmm. cinema lobbies. Mm, sure. Um, but yeah, Airport 79, 80, the Concorde. You see that at the movies? Yes, and I've seen it since it's a little bit of alcohol it's great fun um, so, did so, you know you can fly the concord upside down no i did not know that yeah, and you can open the cockpit window and your arm won't get torn off when you fire a flare out right sure yeah. okay no so it's a it's, it's a, true i saw it in my movie okay so it um defies a few basic laws of physics um, <laughs> a few. so Speaking of laws of physics, I mean, the Concorde Airport 79 came out after Flying High, or, or also known as the Airplane, the spoof yeah. that, that, that is, you know, much more, probably much uh, better, more widely seen yeah. than the airport movies themselves. Yeah. And I'm thinking that together with um, the abomination that Airport 80, the Concorde was, that they killed that cycle of disaster films. Well, certainly aircraft ones. Because once you've had it parodied so well, you can't really do it straight mm. anymore. I mean, and li- and literally, there there's this huge gap between mm. the '70s cycle of disaster films and the um, the mid '90s when the the cycle was kind of mm. reinvigorated. Um, well, but flying, you reckon there's yeah. a few things in between. One of which you've actually um, uh, yeah. adopted. We'll, we'll come to that in a minute. You've talked about Flying High, that's hilarious. Anyone who has not seen Flying High must see it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's quite a few years old now, but it's may as could have been made last year, mm. whatever. It's brilliant. It's it got is. A, you know, yep. visual and... Yeah, it's one of the jokes, funniest movies you know, ever made. I think it was on the Empire brilliant. top... It might have even been the funniest movie, top, top of... Yeah. All-time um, comedies. The second one's not as good, but still mm-hmm. not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but Flying High was actually spoofing Zero Hour. Yeah. 1957 movie where yeah. everyone's getting gets poisoned by the, the fish dish. Yeah. I keep giving away plot points. That's perfectly fine. We Which, don't actually but, have Zero uh, Hour, but I know somebody who's got one, and I've and he's going to, to give it to us. So, well, I so, was going... So, but I don't have it yeah. here. I didn't want to rub it in. I was going to say you didn't have zero hour. I checked. But you could get zero hour. I'm sure we could get it cheaply. No, I've got somebody who's giving it to me. Great. Mm. And then... Former podcast guest. You could recommend that people watch them as a double feature. Yeah. Watch zero hour first and then flying high. Well, I'll... Which is parodying the plot. Indeed. You know, the interesting thing about flying high too is that... um, You've got a whole lot of serious actors in it. Leslie Nielsen, mm-hmm. who with Flying High and afterwards he just went on to a whole slew of comedy roles. But Leslie Nielsen, uh, Lloyd Bridges, all those people mm. in it. Mm. They, we're all Robert straight Stack, actors. They all, yeah. were all serious dramatic actors. No, you did right. Yeah. Which is why when they ordered that movie, some mm. of them were a bit reluctant to do it because mm. they were a bit worried about it. Mm. Uh, but when they ordered that movie... Um, mm. 
It did for Leslie Nielsen's, Nielsen's career what um, Pulp Fiction did for John Travolta's. Yes. When you think about it. And I'm wearing my Reservoir Dogs you t-shirt. Are, but we digress. But I'm going to continue digressing for a minute because I'm extremely excited <laughs> about Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie. Really? Okay. You, you sound you doubtful. No, no, um, no, but I, I... You're not I, a hater. No, I'm not. No, um, no, it's just... Have uh, you seen the that's, teaser that's, trailer? That's a digression that yeah, I wasn't I ready for. You. I have seen the trailer. Have and you it, seen the full trailer? It does look out? right up your alley, Peter. That film says... Hollywood, 1969. What's not to like? Exactly. That's just got you written all over it. Plus, one of the main characters is a stunt man. So. Indeed. I was just about to yeah. mention yeah. Um, that... Uh, so one of the things I've known about you when you were a customer back in the day and uh, was you were very interested in um, martial arts movies, kung fu movies, um, and, uh, and that you were a practicing stuntman and even a professional stuntman mm. at one time. So I still am. You still are? Yeah. So um, tell us a bit about... Mortal Engines and new releases. I worked on that. Right. So you've been doing that for 30 years. Uh, a bit longer, actually. I started in 1978 with yeah. live car shows and things back then. Yeah. So, yeah. So, do you put yourself in mortal danger often? Like No, not... that's why I'm still here. Right. Sure. Those stunts are carefully planned and not like the movies. So, do you, as a stuntman, are you generally repeating the same kinds of stunts that you become... Uh, well practiced at or you yeah it varies I mean I I do fight scenes I teach a lot of actors plays and stage stuff as well mm-hmm. um, so I do a lot of fight choreography and fight doubling um, I do car stunts fire stunts steer falls basics like that yeah um, so is that uh a, a, a rarefied profession? Is there, are you one of many that do that in the Wellington area? Are there, um, in New there Zealand, a... there are about 120 stump people. Mm-hmm. Probably about 30 or so making a full-time yep. living out of I'm just one of the part-timers. Yep. So quite a few people that do it have their own independent business yep. or jobs where they don't take time off. Mm-hmm. For many years, I did shift work as a computer operator, so we work 12-hour shifts yep. and only work like 13 days a month, so uh, yeah. half the time yep. I was off shift sure. when stuff came up or I could swap shifts and things. Uh, more recent years, I've used up most of my holiday leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, seeing as I work 9 to 5 sort of thing. So sometimes you're called in and you can't do a job. Yeah, sometimes I've missed, and sometimes jobs come, come up at the same time, Yeah, so you have to... Mm. Do just one of them. Um, yep. But these days I'm more interested in spending time with my family going on holidays, mm-hmm. my holiday leave. Mm-hmm. So I'm very picky. Yeah. And there's only so stuff. much glamour about waiting around for hours and hours and hours and getting up at the crack of yeah. dawn, you know, to yeah. do a, a short yeah. scene Free and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I like things that are challenging. So if it's different or unusual or presents a bit of a challenge yep. to me, I'll do it if it's interesting. Yeah. Um, speaking of holidays, I'm going to Los Angeles soon, mm-hmm. August 31st for a week, yeah. um, overcome my dislike of your current president, Right. Yeah. Uh, for my yeah. wife and I to go yeah. to a 30 Seconds to Mars 
event and concert. Right. In uh, Malibu. Right. So we're staying in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I'm circling back to Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Uh, because one of the things places I want to visit is Larry Edmonds Bookshop on Hollywood Boulevard. Right. Which I notice features in the teaser trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Back in '69 mm-hmm. in its original location. Mm-hmm. The um, Tarantino, of course, owns the um, New Beverly Cinema as yes, well in yeah. in, um, in Hollywood. Is that something somewhere where you'll drop by and see as I well? I probably won't have a chance to catch a movie there. Mm. Um, mm. I get their, their email newsletters, mm-hmm. and they have a huge variety of stuff that they show yeah. every yeah. week. Tuesday nights I always have a double feature of exploitation movies, mm-hmm. like two biker movies or two car chase movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. God, I wish I'd lived there. <laughs> I actually bumped into him in the street there. Mm-hmm. True story. Right. A few months after Reservoir Dogs, I was in the States on holiday, mm-hmm. and it was my last day in LA flying out. I just been to a post office to post a box of books back here. To New Zealand, save weight and that. Walking back down the street to the hotel to check out and go to the airport. This guy was walking down the street towards me, got closer and closer. I thought, hmm. was, guy. was Little Green Bag playing at the time? <laughs> no, there was no background no. music. This no. was okay. real life. Okay. This guy was getting closer. I thought, he looks like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> he started to walk past me and said, Excuse me. And it was him. Yeah. Did you chat? So we chatted just yep. just for a minute or sure. two. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, we chatted about a car stunt or a person being hit by a car, right. which is in Reservoir Dogs because it's an unusual one. He gets hit mm-hmm. facing away from the car. Mm-hmm. We actually chatted about that. And uh, I just, yeah. Mm. And you... I had no pen or paper, and this was pre Cell phone, you know, couldn't take a selfie, didn't have a camera. Right, okay. So it's we just didn't have phones your, your back word then. against his. Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, yeah, Peter. That was amazing. That's that's great. The um, only in Hollywood. That's for sure. Um, getting into the stunt game, like like what? How? What led to you doing that? Um, how do you become a stunty? Well, original. Oh, I hate that word. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Stunty. I don't know, I just hate that term. It's a very, I know a lot of people say it now, but... Do you want me to invent some other terms? Yeah, stump person. (laughs) Okay. Um, I answered an ad in the newspaper. Classified ad, stump men and women wanted, training given. Uh That was it. Okay. Um, I was originally interested in special effects, you know, models and explosions and that, but I had no skills at that. Um, and then we had all car chase movies and things in the 70s. Mm-hmm. There's a great movie called Hooper, which you haven't got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that Burt Reynolds? Yeah. Yeah. It is a great okay, movie. Okay, I'm writing it down. Um, I can probably give you a copy because sure. I might have two. But okay. I got it for about $10. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you five for it. <laughs> Burt Reynolds plays the start part of a Hollywood stuntman. Yeah. And... You watch it, you think, I want to be a Hollywood stuntman. Right. Right? So when you're 16 or 17. Yeah. I remember the movie coming out. Yeah. Yeah. It was directed by Hal Needham, who was a stunt man and stunt coordinator. And Burt Reynolds was his mate. And he wrote a script. 
which they polished up, Bert agreed to star in it, so Hal could direct it, and it was Smoking the Bandit. Mm-hmm. And Hooper was directed by Hal a bit later. Mm-hmm. He also did some real bad movies, like Megaforce. Yeah. Um, but Hooper is great. Full of action, mm. very funny, a lot of stuff. Very heavily censored when it was mm. shown here. Mm-hmm. I mean, screened on TV and, of course, DVD and that later sure. before the cut stuff put back in. Yeah. Mostly antisocial behaviour, like yeah. people drunk, jumping from car to car and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that was the film that uh, got you interested in the idea of, yes, of doing stunts? Yes, that really inspired me. Also, The Stunt Man, Richard yeah. Rush, which is... Mm-hmm. Peter and, O'Toole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Freebie and the Bean also by him yeah. is a movie I'd like to sponsor if it hasn't sure. been done yet. yeah. Which is another favourite. Yep, yep, because we've only got a VHS in there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and these are all films also, I remember from my, yeah. my youth as well. Mm. Yeah, there's also one called Stunts, which is not very good. Oh. Um, I think it was Richard Donner. Actually, it was, I don't know it was okay. One. But another big influence was a stuntman in Australia called Grant Page. Mm-hmm. He did the first Mad Max movie. Uh, and he's had a career so long... He worked on the first Patrick, was mm-hmm. the horror one back in the seventies, and on the recent remake. Right. Yeah. So he's in his seventies now and still working. Yeah. Uh, but he did a movie called The Man from Hong Kong, mm-hmm. which you've yeah, got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good movie. Uh, which is mm. a great mm. action movie. Mm. So, and he also did a TV series called Danger Freaks, which I think is an extra on either The Man from Hong Kong. Or another one you've got with Grant. Oh, they're an episode Grant or something. It's yeah. kind of like a compilation okay. of the best of the series. Yeah. That was on every week for about seven or eight weeks. Mm. And he went around the world meeting other mm. stunt people mm. and doing stunts. So Grant Page and this fictional yeah. Hooper movie were real inspirations. Sure. When and then the ad. did you go and see Bruce Lee movies? And, and, oh, you know, yes. And that, that, you know, that was because he was hugely influential, wasn't he? He was everywhere. Funnily enough, though, mm. when Enter the Dragon first came out in 1973, I remember this seeing the trailer before some other movie, and but I don't know why, but not being that impressed. Right. I don't know what was wrong with mm. me. And then, like, you know, only four years later, I remember a mate and I, we saw this notice up about some martial arts club in Auckland showing the game of death and a few other things mm. after Bruce had died, of course. Mm. And we were in there and we'll, they showed a couple of other crap compilation 8mm things of some other rubbish yep. Hong Kong kung fu eight things. Millimeter. yeah. Yeah, it was, those are like condensed versions of movies, 15 mm. minutes long, whatever, on 8mm, okay. which they used to rent back before video days. And we're all waiting, and finally this, some of these scenes from Game of Death came on with Bruce Lee fight footage that we'd never seen before. Mm. And it was years later until the film came out, mm. and mm. you could actually see it properly. Mm. And I don't know, You probably saw the best bits back then. The only good bits. <laughs> the only good bits in Game of Death are the opening credits, which are done by the same style and the same people that did a lot of the James Bond ones. Mm. So you've got the world's most expensive gold roulette wheel and all sorts of things mm. floating yeah. through. Mm. Very good. Mm. And about 10 minutes of Bruce Lee fight footage, which he filmed before he died, mm. which is all on extras on the Enter the Dragon DVD. Mm. Yeah. Which, you know Jackie Chan's in that? No. Enter the Dragon? No. 
he's just he was just a stunt man back mm-hmm. then. He's just one of the bodyguards fighting Bruce Lee, and he gets his neck broken by him. Mm-hmm. And right at the beginning, Sammo Hung mm-hmm. uh, fights Bruce Lee in front of the monks. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who who he was back then. Mm, no. But okay. Sammo Hung, Yuen Bao, and Jackie Chan was like the three main mm. Hong Kong action movie stars. So And they were all there back in seventy three. Yeah. Mm. Well, Yuen Bao wasn't in it, but mm. the other two were. Peter, you were telling me um the other day that uh, something I didn't know and that was that you worked for a video distributor mm. back in the eighties. So was that in Auckland or Well it was a film there? distributor. Yeah. So my very first job from school mm. So I got university entrance, but I didn't really want to go to university. I wanted to get a job and earn some money. Hmm. And my mum, she worked as a bank teller. She said, you can always get a job at a bank. Mm-hmm. Went for a... I was insurance, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I you know, did a, a written maths test, you know, make sure that I could read and write and hmm. add things up. And... In the meantime, I've been applying to film distribution companies in Auckland. There were about four or five then, mm. trying to get a job, but they're all pretty small places, yeah. without much turnover. And I got no's back from all of them mm. except one that I hadn't. This heard. was as a school leaver. Yeah, yeah. And I hadn't heard back from one of the companies, like Columbia Warner and that. Mm. Sorry, we've got nothing. Mm. So I got a letter accept, accepting. Me as a to be a bank teller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fate worse than death. Right. Okay. I've got to be careful because I work in that sort of industry now, not as a teller. Um, but then I got a letter from Cinema International Corporation, which was Universal, Paramount, and MGM Films mm-hmm. outside America. They'd have a combined office to save money. Yep. CIC. Yep. yep CIC, which became UIP, United mm-hmm. International Pictures, later. Anyway, got a thing saying we may have something coming up. Mm. Yeah, someone might be leaving. Went in for an interview. Yeah. person did leave. I got off of jobs. That was my first job from school for a few okay, years. Okay, so that saved you from going to the bank. Yeah, and believe it or not, it paid $60 a week, mm. which was $2 a week more than the bank job paid. Right, okay. <laughs> as a storeman. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, free admission to movies. Wow. All your Christmases had come at once. And... Yep. Started collecting posters and photos yeah, wow. and got the odd free T-shirt. And this is as a 17-year-old. Yeah. An awesome job. I used to have yeah. a Saturday Night Fever T-shirt that I got. Right. Wow. <laughs> so... Um, and in fact, sorry, one other thing. We had, mm. we also had previews of movies, one of mm-hmm. which was Flying High. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a bit sexist now, but they had the usherettes dressed as stewardesses. Mm-hmm. They borrowed uniforms, yep. and all the tickets were made out like airline tickets. Yeah, that was interesting. An enduring memory. Yeah. It's an awesome. Um, well, I got thing. invited to a Blazing Saddles one mm-hmm. once when it was being reissued for the opposition Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah, but mm. yeah, we got tickets to each other's things. Right, and at that they had an intermission halfway through. I love these marketing things. Yeah, and everyone came out. They had always big things of baked beans for everyone to eat, right? Mm. And everyone goes back in. Very first scene is the baked beans eating scene where everyone's farting. So yeah. you see what they did there. I, I did, yeah. So marketing right. genius. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Wish you I was You should do there. an event like that here. 
Yeah, that's that story's just have... really inspired me to do yeah. so. Um, no, we, we we could do. You're right. Um, it's just a lot of work, but it is good fun. Yeah. But events are, are stressful. Mm. Um, stressful I, enough yeah. setting up these interviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I left that job, by the way. Yeah. When um, it became UIP United Artists. Yeah were essentially bought by MGM, but they called it a merger. Yeah. Because they made a movie which wasn't a disaster movie, but proved mm. to be disastrous. Mm. Do you know what that movie was? Um, Heaven's Gate? Yeah. 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 The Western Heaven's Gate. Sure. Mm. Basically bankrupted them. Yeah. But I left soon after that. It wasn't the same. Right. We had some staff changes and things. Sure. So what was your role there? You would... You were well, initially I was a storeman for film, a couple of years. So all the film big, prints? Yeah, all the big heavy cans of movie film yeah. with the reels in them. Yeah. We would ship them, you know, guys would come in and pick them up and yeah. go around the country from cinema yeah. to cinema. And for the last couple of years I was here, I worked as a film booker. I got promoted to the office and we had these big ledger books right. keeping track of where all the film prints were going right. around the country. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. And because we, this is terrible, we had to know what our films were about. So we were forced during work hours to go to a preview every week of one of our new movies mm. and watch it in a little screening room with the Moodabee brothers. You poor thing. Ran the cinema chain, one mm. of them in Auckland. Mm. So I was being paid to watch yeah. movies. It's a dirty job. Someone's yeah. got to do it. That's right. Mind um, you, after that I left, mm. and I still got paid to watch movies. Mm. So I became a cinema projectionist for a few years. In Auckland? Mm. Yeah. So I only got out of it when I came to Wellington. Mm. I was the last projectionist working at St James here. Um, and I knew it was going to close and I'd have to do something else. Mm. So that was interesting. And then it became a focus on the stunt work part-time after that, once yeah, you got I, to Wellington. Yes, I, yeah. we did live shows and things in Auckland, but I only broke in a film and TV stuff after I moved to Wellington. Yeah. Um, yeah. One quick interesting thing about Bruce Lee movies, mm. and I know you hate censorship, or mm. <laughs> what's the best way to describe your... Um, mm, I'm into raging contempt. Now. Okay. <laughs> Well, Bruce Lee movies used mm. to be heavily censored, all the nunchaker fights and mm. various nasty bits would always be chopped out of them. And one time when I was still working at CIC Films, one of the guys came in who owned a cinema and he said, oh, it's really strange, we've got about 250 people in last night to watch this Bruce Lee double feature, The Big Boss and Fist of Fury, I think it was. And he couldn't figure out why. And he got those from Warner Brothers. But anyway, they got some new prints in and either deliberately or accidentally, someone forgot to make all the censors cuts. So, of course, the first night that he was screening them as a double feature, mm. you know, 20 or 30 people came along and whoa, mm. told all their mates. Mm-hmm. And he was getting hundreds of people coming along every night. Right. So, so those Bruce Lee movies were, were heavily censored. Mm. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. So, you know, the nunchucks. All the nunchuck and, scenes. Right, sure, yeah. Anything well, nasty, like breaking someone's neck and yeah. things like that. Yeah. It's all chopped out. Yeah. Um, do you remember yeah. Dawn of the Dead? Of course, yeah. I saw it in the, yeah. in the movies. So, so the yeah. original one, which is basically 
well, it's an end of the world movie as well, mm. disaster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that at the film festival screening in Mission Bay in Auckland. I was riding my 10-speed bicycle home in the dark, crapping myself because thinking there's zombies everywhere mm-hmm. just about. But when it opened later on on a general release at St. James in Auckland, mm. word very quickly got around, word of mouth, mm. that it was uncut there. Because, mm. again, that had been cut. Right. Right? So I went to see it there, five minutes in, guy's head blown apart. Yeah. Shotgun. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I didn't see that before. Mm. This is uncut. Mm. Yeah, I, I so saw I'm not quite uncut. sure how that happened. Yeah, no, but, but I, I saw an uncut version of it as well. I think it was at the Odeon in Lower Hutt or something. Mm. And we went as a group. So I think we went with about seven or eight of us. And um, it, was, uh, it was a pretty... Um, uh, exciting experience because mm. yeah we were seeing things that we never had never seen before so we mm. became mm. zombie um, <laughs> freaks after that yeah. uh, so with that particular friend group you know anything that was vaguely splatter uh, we would um, <laughs> right. we would make an effort to get together to watch it so most horror um, things from Friday the 13th onwards yeah. were cut back then yeah. and of course the beauty of it is with DVD Mm. Everything's uncut now, pretty mm. much. The the biggest fright I think I got from Dawn of the Dead was the scene where um, I think it was a woman, might have, might have, I think it's a, a black woman who kind of goes in to kind of hug oh, and, bites uh, and bites a big, big chunk, chunk out, out of the neck. neck. And, and yeah. that was absolutely devastating. Yeah. I'm sure that was cut in the version. <laughs> it was fantastic, well. though. It was yeah. just such a shock, but such a thrill. Yeah. And that's. Uh, that's the fun of it, you know. And there are an awful lot of end of the world slash disaster zombie movies mm. these days. They just keep going on. They do. They do indeed. Um, so Miracle Mile mm. um, was your other uh, choice to adopt. And um, as I say, that uh, represents a, a, a uh, quite an unusual... Uh, disaster film because it's made in the 1980s mm. uh, so as I say after flying high in the Concord in 1979 um, according to you know we had the day after uh, and threads the mm. nuclear mm. realistic uh, so-called there's also um, the war game yeah which was originally made for the BBC and they refused to show it sure I thought that was was that 80s was no that sorry that's an I'm yeah. just thinking in terms of like threads and sure. those yeah. sorts of yeah. nuclear so, so things. Indeed, yeah. Um, and then I've got on my list, which is just off our website, um, we've got Backdraft in 1990, and then it's not mm. till Outbreak and Twister, 95, 96. Mm. So Miracle Mile's in there kind of on its mm. lonesome. And it's a great film. I love it. Yeah, I haven't seen it for 30 years, but... Quickly tell us. You haven't the, the watched premise. it recently. I I haven't. No. So you didn't rewatch it. In no, I saw it on VH. No, no. You said no. You should watch When Worlds Why Collide. Why am I even talking to you? You said you should watch When Worlds I'm Collide. Sure I said so that's what I did. Mile. How many beers have you had? Yeah, but then you watched Airport. You could have watched Miracle Mile. I could. I, I can didn't remember. Ask it. You to watch okay. Airport. Okay. Right. Since you're being mean to me, I'm going to tell you that. The one thing that, that, like that, that frustrates me about Miracle Mile mm-hmm. is Anthony Edwards and away. Mary Winningham 
are not particularly engaging as as actors. That's um, your opinion. Or? Yes, it's my opinion. Yes, there's a great fire stunt in it. Yeah. Do you want to tell people what it's about since you've adopted it? Okay, it's about an actor who's apparently not very engaging. Who he's just a bit bland. <laughs> but a bit bland. That's all. You know? Okay. Miracle Mile, I should explain the title briefly, it's an area in Los Angeles and there's La Brea tar pits and other things there. They've got the, um, I've got the name of the place, which is actually in the movie Xanadu, mm-hmm. where in the story Xanadu, they go to fix it all up and make it a new place again. And that features early in the film where uh, he's helping with a music fundraiser thing, which is quite pathetic. He's got about 20 people there donating a handful of dollars they're clearly never going to get enough money but Miracle Mile is the name of that area where it is and the two characters meet at La Brea Tar Pits um, been to LA twice and never got around to getting there mm. <laughs> hopefully the next trip because I think it's a fascinating what, what place what is La Brea Tar Pits? Just... Well, it's literally tar bubbling out of the ground right. still and they've recovered mammoths and saber-toothed mm-hmm. tigers and everything from there. Mm-hmm. All those sorts of things. It's a working site with all scientists, with all the bones and everything okay. as well. So it's a big sort of science, natural history type thing. The matar is still bubbling yeah, out. I'm surprised it hasn't featured in more films. It's featured in a few. It's actually in a disastrous movie starring... Uh, can you guess what movie? No, I can't. The Last Action Hero. Okay, sure. It's in a scene yeah. of Matt. Okay. But it's in other movies too. Hmm. But that's where the two characters meet at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. They fall in love. And she's working night shift at a 24-7 diner. He goes off to have a nap and sets the alarm and is going to meet her when she finishes early in the morning. Something happens. He gets here late. She's gone. And then the phone in the public phone booth outside rings. Mm-hmm. Some guy calling, panic, trying to get his dad. He's called the wrong area code. And he reckons that they've launched missiles at Russia mm-hmm. and return missiles are on their way. Sure. So the whole thing is, and from that point on, the movie is pretty much in real time. Mm. And it's like, was the call a hoax or... Is it real? Mm. And things gradually escalate from mm. there. Mm. But it's a great movie. I love it. Mm. I think I it's will, a great concept. I will catch up with it again um, or reappraise it. No, I just remember that, you know, when you see a movie 30 years ago, you um, uh, you just have, you know, one or two kind of images in your head and one or two impressions mm. that you might have had at the time and I just remember yeah, probably, yeah. liking the film and it was quite well received at Definitely the time and it was a, you know, it. and it's yeah. a thinking person's it disaster is. film. It is. Um, um, and other things I like about it, it's, it's got great colours and everything um, and things like the diner, I mean, it's just fantastically mm. lit. Mm. It may look great. Yeah. Um, Made by Steve DeJarnett, who who wrote the script, and I know that mm. it was considered one of the in the eighties. It was one of the um, considered one of the best scripts that had never been made yeah. for, a, for for you know for ten years, and um, and finally 
um, he, I think, to Janet had never made a movie before and they, mm. nobody would give him the money to make it, um, but it took 10 years before somebody did. I don't think they made any money off it, though. But mm. um, but he also directed Cherry 2000, I, I did notice, yeah. which was two years earlier. So yeah. he did get a... He did cut his teeth on yeah. that film. Cherry 2000s, yeah, it's fairly good. Hmm. Um, but I think Miracle Mile is a lot better. Hmm. Um, there's a screening recently of Hollywood in Auckland. Right. With a big screen, which I wish it would be great to see it on a big screen. Yeah, has that happened already? Yeah, it yeah. just, yeah. just yeah. recently. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, there's a few other movies like Breathless, the remake with Richard Gere. Mm-hmm. Similar kind of colours and everything. Yeah. Cinematography. And that's yeah. a, that's another favourite movie. Yeah. Heresy, I actually think it's better than the original. Um, that's okay with me. French film. With that's okay with me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so it has that kind of neon glow. Yeah, it's just the colours. It's got those great 80s it colours. It does. And also soundtrack by Tangerine Dream, which yeah, you know, I, always they do. adds yeah. heaps of atmosphere. Yeah. They do great soundtracks in yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, yeah All right. Good. Yeah. Good. To Live and Die in LA, that's another one around that era. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that again. Mm. Yeah. You've got it. I know. You know better than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, well, that's a pretty good go. Um, I've got my list here. Um, I printed out a list of 94 disaster movies that we have, but I'd say about 20 of them are kind of documentaries about real disasters. So right. cut that down to about Not 70. Not quite so fun. No. You um, have got some classic ones, though. You've got, um, you know, again, we, we talked about Irwin Allen. Yeah. So, of course, he did a lot of TV shows like Lost in Space, Time Tunnel, mm-hmm. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Yeah. But he did a lot of great disaster movies. Mm-hmm. The original Poseidon Adventure, The Towering Inferno, which has fant- got fantastic fire stunts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Earthquake is a great disaster movie from then. Do you remember? Did you ever see Earthquake at the movies? I did. I was nine years old, and it um, blew me away. And sense around. Yes, and sense around. Yeah, I yeah. saw it. Uh, I would have been about sixteen. Right. Saw it in. At the Cinerama in Auckland. You're not that much older than me. You must have seen it after the fact. Because I saw no, it in 74. Oh, I, see, I saw oh, it in 74. Christ, I must have yeah. only been 14 then. Yeah. And that was great because they had the... It was almost subsonic sound and it yeah. felt like everything was shaking and vibrating yeah. Yeah. in a real earthquake. So they installed special subwoofers into the cinema. Yeah, just into certain only. cinemas, yeah. Yeah. Well, they did use it again for a few other movies like Battle of Midway, Roller Coaster. And uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And I saw all three of them for sense around. It didn't and work. It didn't work at yeah. all. It worked those. well for Earthquake. It did. And I used to have the record for soundtrack of it, right? Right. And the track with the actual Earthquake sequence, you could see it really etched into the LP. Right. It was right. very obvious. Right. And when my parents were out, I'd play it really loud, the actual Earthquake bit. Yeah. I'd be vibrating the glass china cabinets. <laughs> it was yeah. classic. No, it definitely was another, like the Dawn of the Dead experience, it was mm. another kind of um, uh, just abiding memory of yeah. going to the movies when I was young. So mm. Earthquake mm. was definitely up there. In the States, they even dropped styrofoam debris on the audience mm. in some theatres. 
yeah. as well. <laughs> what was going on? Is that right? Oh, that reminds me. There's another one, Damnation Alley. Okay. Which you have here. Yeah. Which I didn't consider, uh, in my ignorance, to be a disaster movie, yeah, but it's, I see it is. Yeah. yeah, the world's ended, I basically. Know. So we're going to have to... And it's a few survivors. Yep. Well, they did a thing called trying to copy Centuround. They yep. did a thing called Sound 360, yep. which didn't work anywhere near as well. Right. Um, and I actually watched that recently. Mm. I remember back in the day thinking it was a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. But And it it's not a great movie, but it's better than I remember. There's one particular thing with giant scorpions which I don't right. think the special effects are good right which was a scene which stuck in my memory yeah it made me think the whole thing was terrible right okay but other than that scene it's not too bad yeah um, yeah and it's got this amazing vehicle called the Landmaster, which they built specifically for the film this huge articulated vehicle with triangular wheel sets and everything mm. armored vehicle which I actually saw in 1987 in Los Angeles on a bus tour back from uh, Universal Studios back to Hollywood mm. and it was parked in a used car yard <laughs> as a display thing mm. and I got a blurry photo of it from the bus <laughs> and just recently with the power of the internet I tracked down where it is now and it's about 40 k's outside of Los Angeles outside another business some guys Mm. Had it for a couple of years, bought it off someone else. Mm, mm, mm. So it's and one of, of my missions in life to get there and see it up close. And of course, that vehicle had a, a heavy influence on on the New Zealand film battle, uh, battle truck. You know, so, it you know, did. Yeah. So, so I this, think we've had this. Discussion. We, we, we have. So we don't need to talk. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole. So, so you, we've done the battle truck. You don't thing, want to re. You don't want to argue the point with me. <laughs> Where I insist that Battle Truck ripped off Damnation Alley. Uh, no, I'm not going to argue the point because I agree <laughs> with you. Because Damnation Alley was 77. Mind you, I yeah. must admit, yeah. I watched Battle Truck recently, got it out from here. Yes. About six months ago or something. Yeah. And I was impressed. Yeah, it's a good film. Because I had remembered it just being a, back in yeah. the day, being a bad movie. Yeah. But it was actually pretty good. No, it's pretty good. I I liked it a lot. Cool. All right. Well, we could go on forever through this list, um, but I think we'll, you know, we'll uh, lock it off there, talk about something else. Waterworld? I watched that the other day. It's quite good. (laughs) Um, Okay, Waterworld. All right. Uh, did you see what I was trying to do there? Trying to end the... Uh, 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 and you ambushed me with Waterworld. Um, okay. Tell me well, about Waterworld. Well, it's pretty good. But it's what? got a lot of action. Not it's a pretty comedy. good, but why are we talking about it? Because it's an end of the world movie. Oh, okay. It's highly topical now. The whole I world's so. flooded. Disaster. Sea level. All right. Ice yep, caps sure. melted. Okay. Everything's underwater. There's no land. Well, they... Can't better not give No, you're right. I, okay, so what you're saying is I need to add Waterworld to the disaster list. Mm. And okay. the Postman, which Kevin Costner also the did. Postman, okay. Couldn't we have finished on a high note? I think, well, Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I guess um, I guess <clears throat> I mention that because sometimes you remember these things yeah. being really bad, like a sense. Yeah, yeah, I think Waterworld was when just you see bloated, them again recently, they're not. No. Well, compared to the length of movies these days, it's, yeah. not, it's two hours, ten minutes, a fair. Yeah, it's I think something like long. Waterworld, though, I saw, knew it was kind of supposed to be pretty ridiculous, yeah. and I didn't mind it. It was. Look, I think what yeah, happens is that... Yeah, it's a good action you, comedy, it, and it's it, got a it bit of social... It was fine. I think the thing about commentary. Waterworld was that it had, it cost $100 million, yeah. and it had Kevin Costner's massive ego, so it was really easy to hate. Whereas if it was a small movie, a small modest movie, um, yeah. I probably would have liked it. But Do half you know the I mean? budget was spent on ferrying cast and crew back and forth yeah. to the set they built out at sea. Sure. Yeah. Over time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thanks I mean, if it had been in. a financial success, would we be slamming it? Um, all I remember from it is Kevin Costner drinking his own wheeze. That's right at the start. He only does it once. And... and, and uh, Dennis Hopper's the bad guy, oh, right? He chews the scenery. He he's does. Great. And he, all he's doing is kind of a rehash of, of what he did in Speed, but uh, just not nearly as good. Is to be right? fair, Waterworld is like a Mad Max 2 rip-off set at sea. <laughs> it is. You're really selling it. Okay. Great show at Universal So rather than... Studios. I'm, I'm going to... What else do you want to talk about since you... The Waterworld live action No, show we've moved on from Waterworld. No. It's got no. good stuff. Have you got another it? movie you want There's to talk about? There's a good Firestone in it. Have you got another movie you want to talk about before we wrap this up from your list? Another disaster. In well, I was I was wrapping it up, and then you mentioned the W okay. word. All right, I will mention. Now I'm two. being generous. I'm saying, okay, Pete. Okay. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about San Francisco, made in 1936, mm-hmm. which is about the 1906 yeah. earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. Great it's movie. one of the early ones, yes. Yep. King Kong. It was made in thirty three. Yeah, this was made in nineteen thirty six. Great practical live effects of the earthquake sequence. I notice you only have it on VHS. Yeah. Perhaps we can rectify that. We could do. Yeah. And oh. people would watch it as a double feature with an old Chicago nineteen thirty seven. Sure. About the Great Chicago Fire of eighteen seventy one. Mm-hmm. That you have on DVD. Okay. So if we can get San Francisco on DVD, there's a great double feature. There is. Two very old but very good disaster movies. We do have a few holes that do would, wouldn't be nice to to plug eventually. Um, we will get there. There's um, there's a couple of cheesy ones from the 70s, Meteor and Hurricane. I noticed oh, we don't uh, have. Yeah. You haven't got Meteor. I mean, I'm talking about completism here. Yeah. Meteor's bad. It really is. All right. But Um, it's sort of fun bad. Well, it's been really lovely talking to you about bad movies. Yep. And a few good ones as well. Yes. And um, so thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. Cheers, Andrew.
thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. And remember, you can support us by adopting a movie for yourself or someone you know through our website. And you can even adopt a movie through our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash rovideo, where you can do that on a month-by-month basis. Through Patreon, you can also get the best value from our services while you support us. So for a US $25 per month, you can have unlimited access to our entire library of 25,000 rental films. Or for just $750 US, that's about $11 New Zealand dollars per month, you can rent two new releases in store per month. And we also have another option that's getting more popular for home delivery customers where for a US $14.50 per month you receive two guaranteed quality mystery movies from the Arrow Video recommended playlist. Finally, I invite you to register your feedback about what you've heard on Facebook or SoundCloud in particular and uh, you can subscribe to the podcast for automatic updates through your preferred podcast app. Until next time, ka kite anō. 